My son Ezra turns five tomorrow. Happy birthday, bud, as you leave. One more time. That's what I kept hearing from Ezra this last week. I had a proud father moment. I got to take my kids to the park, and I was taking all three of them to the park, and and we were on this uh, playground equipment, and it was a new place for them. We've never been to this park before, and there are some things. My, my daughter, Bethany, is great with, like, the climbing stuff. She'll, like, do uh, climbing all across, especially if they've got, like, a little track where they're, like, climbing with your arms. She's, like, great at, like, hanging on things and trying to climb across all of that. My son, Joshua, who's only 15 uh, months old, He's just like all over the place, and I'm trying to watch him while I'm watching Bethany do her thing. And then Ezra, uh, my son, who's turning five tomorrow, he, he comes up to me, and he, he's like, Daddy, I want to do the fireman pole, but I need your help. And so, obviously, you're not going to say no, like, come on, kid, you're, you're fine, toughen it up. Uh, at least I won't. Maybe you will. But uh, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at him like, all right, I, and here's the thing. Ezra has always been terrified of heights. We've taken him to uh, playgrounds before, and anything that's over, like, my shoulders, he would get down on his knees and then, like, flatten himself out when he gets scared. And then he'll sit there and say, scaredy, 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 <laughs> right? <laughs> and so uh, Ezra is, is terrified of, of the, the heights, and so this fireman pole is over my head. It's probably about eight feet off the ground. And uh, obviously he's not reaching all the way to eight feet, but it's like for him, it was like, it was at my head, right? And so he's doing this fireman pole and he, he, he comes up to me and he's like, all right, I'm going to do this, right? And then we sit there. He's like, I can do it. I can do it. I was like, I know you can. You can do it, Ezra. You got this. And he gets his feet up to the, to the end of this, there's like a little opening, and then the fireman pole sticks out about a, a foot, right? And I'm looking at him, and he's just like, gets down on his, on his knees, and then he gets down to his butt, and he's sitting down, and as he's doing that, he's just like, I'll, I'll reach it out to it while sitting. And he, so he sits down, and he, he tries so hard to stick his hand out there, but he's clenching on to the opening. There's a handle there, right? He's clenching on this opening. He's trying to reach out there. I'm like, all right, Ezra, here's what you got to do. I was like, you've got little arms and a big head. You're like a T-Rex. You can't do this while you're sitting on your bottom. You've got to reach out and do this. Now, mind you, we had just gone to Burger King, and I unfortunately had gotten a soda and while I had gotten that soda, I had spent enough time there that I had gotten a refill on the soda, and it was a large soda, and I had 64 ounces of liquid in my bladder. And I'm trying to be patient with Ezra as he's doing this, and so I'm teaching him, like, all right, in order to do this, you got to stand up, and you got to reach out, and you got to put one hand out there. You can hold on to the handle with one hand, then reach out with your other hand, and then you got to take your foot and reach out, and you got to clench yourself around it, and then you got to push your foot back around on the other foot, and then slide down this fireman pole. He's like, I know how to do it, Daddy. <laughs> right? And so I'm teaching him how to do this, and I'm teaching him, like, you can't do it while you're sitting down. But every time he gets there, and he's, he's like, I can do it. I can do it this time. And I'm, 
so I'm coaching them, and I, I go from teacher to now coach, and I'm like, all right, let me show you. And I go up there, and I'm not exactly as light as I used to be. And so I get up there, and I'm like, all right, so you stick your hand out there, you stick your hand out there, you stick your foot out there, you stick your foot out there, and you slide down the pole. And I, I managed to do it. I didn't kill myself. And I go down there, and I'm like, you just do it like that, Ezra. You got this. You got, but you got to stand up to reach out there. It, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little bit of faith on your part because you don't feel comfortable doing it, but it's a good thing. And then I go into, like, theology mode, right? And I'm like, Ezra, you know that you're not doing this on your own. You've got a God who loves you. You've put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he says he's never going to leave you. And so I kind of go like all, all pastor and theologian, and I'm like, you're not doing this on your own. You think you're doing it on your own. You're not. You've got me here as your dad, but you've got your heavenly father who's here for you too, and he wants you to succeed in this. you got this, Ezra. And then I go into coach mode. And I was like, you tell it who's boss, Ezra. you got this. Come on. And every time he gets up there and he's like, and he, he might show a little bit more and like he, and he finally gets to the point and I try to like grab his legs and he hates it when I grab his legs. I'm like, I'm holding you. I'm supporting you. And he's like, no, you're going to pull me down. I'm like, no, I'm not going to pull you down. I'm just going to, I'm just going to hold you there so you can reach out and you feel comfortable. And he got to the point where he actually grabbed onto the pole with both hands while sitting down, which I didn't even think was possible and got his leg out there, and he like pushed his toe on it. He's wearing sandals just like I do. And he gets his toe, the sandal of the toe on it, and I was like, you're going to need some help if you're going to do it that way. And he's like, Daddy, can you help me? I was like, sure. So I pull him down, and then I let go, and he slides down. And he realizes it's possible for him to hold himself up on that pole. And he says, one more time, Daddy. And my stomach is just like, all right, we can do it one more time. And he gets up there and he's like, I got this. I'm the boss. I can do this. <laughs> and he gets on that pole and he sits back down. <laughs> Puts one hand out there and, and he keeps doing this over and over and over again. And he gets to the point where I'm just like, all right, Ezra, you can do this. And he, he finally gets it with my support. He slides down. He gets more confidence. He gets back up there and he, with one more time, Dad, and he runs up there and he does it. And I'm like, all right, I told you, like, 10 minutes ago that we were going to go, but we're still sitting here. My, my bladder can't handle this anymore. And I'm like, all right, Bethany, Joshua, we're going to go. And at this point, he had never done it by himself. And Ezra's just like, one more time, Dad. And I'm just like, okay, you can do this, but I'm going to be standing over here. You're not going to get any help from me, but you can do it. I know you can. You did it with my help. You did it, and I didn't even really help you that much. You can do this, Ezra. And he gets up there, gets to the fireman pole, puts his hand out there, puts his other hand out there, gets his leg out there, gets his other leg out there, and slides down. And I'm like, yeah! Right? I run up there, I give him a high five, and I was like, that kind of hurt my hand. And he's like, yeah, me too. Right? But we were so excited because he could do that. Now, uh, I enjoy those proud dad moments. I love being a father. Happy Father's Day to, to all the fathers out there. Um, at times, though, sometimes our kids are the ones that teach us about things that we need to hear. And I see him being so devoted at accomplishing this task and I'm so excited for him when he finally accomplishes it. But he was single-minded. Every time, he was like, you know what? I might have failed the last time, but I'm going to do it one more time. I might have failed last time. I'm going to do it one more time. 
Isn't that a great example of being a follower of Jesus? Yeah, we're going to fail. We're, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be able to do it on our own all the time. In fact, we shouldn't try to do it on our own all the time. We're going to fail. But we get back up by the grace of God, and we keep on doing it over and over and over again. One of the struggles that I have in youth ministry is that it's actually social media. It's like a, a blessing and a curse. I get to see all these things, former students who are doing amazing things. I get so excited, and, and I get to see how, uh, especially in youth ministry, like there's a lot of highs, right? I get to see people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We get to see people who have uh, committed to following Jesus into the waters of baptism. And, and I get to see those things, and I get to see how they, they genuinely fall in love with Jesus. And I love those moments, but then there are times where you look back on a student's life, and you're like, man... They were so involved in the youth ministry, and they, they really seemed to know the scriptures. They understood the doctrine, and yet it seems like they've fallen away. And if you've, done, uh, you've been involved in ministry for any, short, or any amount of time or just being involved in the church for any amount of time, you see that this is happening, uh, that, that people who you see that you thought were, were uh, really uh, gung-ho in their faith when the program ended, whether it's a youth ministry program, a children's ministry program, maybe it was a men's study that you were doing, or a women's study, or when something uh, has, has changed, they began to drift. Now, we all know somebody who has drifted in their faith, and uh, it hurts to see that happen because you don't want to see that. You want to see that they continue to engage and, and they, they look at it and say, I'm going to do this one more time. Yes, I failed, but I'm going to do it one more time. Maybe you're sitting here in church today and you look at your life and you think, you know what? I'm not any more like Jesus today than I was five years ago. Or maybe you're coming to church today and uh, we are in a, a situation where we're coming because our parents uh, have wanted us to come to church or we, well, we know that it's something that we, we saw in our parents. We saw the faith of our fathers and our forefathers and we think, you know what, I, I wanted to, to, to please them and so I'm going to continue to go to church. But in, in our life, we haven't seen the discipleship of Jesus. We haven't seen people or we're seeing ourselves become more and more like Jesus. How do, we, how do we battle this? How do we battle the struggle that we have where we see people who are walking away? How do, we, how do we battle the struggle in ourselves where we have this apathy and we're not growing in Jesus? To answer these questions, I'm going to look at a time that, uh, that Len read about where uh, a couple thousand years ago, 3,000 people came to a relationship with Jesus Christ, were baptized and then they're sitting there, I'm sure, I'm speculating on this, saying, okay, what do we do now? I put my faith in Jesus, I've been baptized, what do we do now? And we're going to look at what the church did. This was happening right at, uh, after Jesus had uh, commissioned the, the uh, apostles to, to go and make disciples, and he said, just wait. Uh, you're going you're gonna to have a helper that's going to help you out with this. And then uh, 
Peter is communicating this to the people at uh, a feast there, to the Jewish people uh, at the Feast of Pentecost. And, and as they're there doing that, these people see the work of God working in the apostles, and they say, okay, we need to put our faith in Jesus. They did. 3,000 people come to know Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, were baptized. And then we got to figure out what to do, right? And so the church is starting right at this moment, and uh, you're seeing this happening where the church is, is beginning, and as the church is uh, beginning, we see a couple of observations. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at two observations that we see with this early church, and then we're going to look at actually a description of what it looked like when, when they bought into what discipleship looked like. The first observation that we see is that the early church actively pursued the teaching of Jesus. So in Acts 2, verse 42, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first thing that they did, they came to know Jesus, they were baptized, and then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Ezra was devoted to accomplishing that task. He kept going back to it, he kept going back to it, kept going back to it. Now, why would the uh, apostles' teaching be such a significant thing for the people who have put their faith in Jesus? It's because the apostles were teaching about Jesus, right? They had followed Jesus. Jesus had taught them. Jesus had modeled for them what it looked like to be a believer. And then he even told them, I'm going to leave at some point, and this is something you're going to have to make this faith as your own. It's not going to be about me. I mean, it, for Jesus, it was about him, right? It's not going to be a, a, only because Jesus is, is walking with them and doing the ministry. It has to be something that they had to buy in and make their faith something that they were owning. They had to own their faith. <clears throat> and the content focused, the, the apostles' teaching, right? They didn't have the, the New Testament written at that point. They didn't have what we can look at. And we can look at Jesus' teaching. We can look at the, the, the Pauline epistles. We can look at the pastoral epistles. We can look at uh, Revelation. We can look at the Old Testament and how the Old Testament really supports uh, is a support system for the New Testament that, that we see the, the good news of Jesus being declared even in the Old Testament. And so these apostles' teaching, the reason why they were devoted to the apostles' teaching is because the apostle taught about grace. They taught about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. They taught about how we were sinners in need of a Savior. You even see that in that, that little snippet that we saw uh, today, that there was a realization that we were sinners, that they were sinners, and that they knew that they needed to put their faith in Jesus because Jesus paid the penalty for their sins. My encouragement for us is to love the apostles' teaching. Dan, Dan taught last week uh, on reading the scripture and, and loving to read the scripture and making time to read the scripture. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today as well. But our focus today is on making disciples. 
And the first thing that we need to know is in order to make disciples, we need to become a disciple, right? It takes one to make one. If we're not following Jesus, how can we teach people by saying, look at my life because my life represents Jesus? If we're not modeling Jesus, then we're not able to teach others and make disciples, which is what God has called us to do, right? And so uh, we look at this passage, and we see that they have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because they loved to learn about who this Jesus was, what this Jesus called for. And we have so many opportunities to do that, so many different ways to learn more about Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus, to teach about Jesus, to model Jesus. Who you and I are as we model this is dependent on the one that we're following, right? How we model what disciples, because we're all making disciples. We're either modeling good qualities of Christ or we're modeling our own qualities and you replicate that. I see that in my own kids, right? I see that as a father where I'm, I'm, I'm teaching things to them and I, it's my prayer that my kids don't see my flaws. Like I want them to see them, but I want them also to realize that they don't have to model those flaws, right? It's not going to happen, right? So many times our kids model the things that they see. And if we aren't shaping our lives like Jesus, then they start modeling what we don't want them to model. We want them to model, we want to model Jesus for them so that they can, instead of looking at what we've done, they look at what Jesus has done through us, right? So the first observation that we see is that uh, the early church actively pursued the teaching of Jesus. This passage continues. In fact, the the verse continues. Uh, I stopped it after this uh, first phrase, but uh, the early church also persisted in unity. And the passage says this in Acts 2.42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now there's a comma, and it says, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And uh, it's my understanding that to the breaking of bread and prayers were what supported this fellowship. And now, when you hear the word fellowship, I even had this little conversation with my children, uh, what does fellowship mean? And my kids probably have a little bit better understanding than most four and, and uh, six-year-olds about uh, theology, because I, I spend a lot of time talking theology with them. That's one of the blessings that I have uh, in my position is that I can teach theology to them, and I get to see them actually grasp it. And so I asked them, what does it mean to fellowship? And they rem- were remi- rem- had remembered a story that they had uh, just listened to where people were like, oh yeah, churches have fellowship halls. That's where you have potlucks, right? <laughs> That's fellowship. You go and you have potlucks together, Right? Like, no, 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 that's not what it is. And they knew that that wasn't what they were just joking with me. They like to mess with me. They like to, to pull my chain a little bit. And then they're like, well, it's like a bunch of fellows in a ship. It's like, no, that's not what it is either. Like, just spending time together, you know that that's not what it is. And the word actually that we are translating fellowship, we, we say fellowship, and a lot of times we're like, well, you know, you show up to church and you fellowship. That's not what this, this verse means, that's not what this word means. 
The word fellowship is, is the word koinonia, and I don't typically like bring up the Greek, Greek to try to, to explain it, but uh, I, I want you to understand that the word fellowship that we use in our English translation doesn't do it justice, right? Koinonia is a close intimacy, a unity where we're spending time together. The apostles devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and how did they do that? To the breaking of bread and prayers. And some uh, look at this and say, well, you know, breaking of bread, that's a term we use for communion. I, I think that's part of it. I think this is also like, you know, they, they got together and they ate. And how much more unity do you have? And I don't want to discredit what I just said about the, the potluck thing. But it's kind of like going into your homes and eating. It's a little bit different than like, hey, let's have a, a gathering. We'll eat together. And it's like, hey, I, I kind of remember you. Like, what's your name? Joe? Jim? Okay, perfect. Right? It's not that. It's having a close unity with one another. You're praying with each other. You know what's on their heart. You know what's going on in their life. You're aware of their circumstances. You, you can call them out by name. You can, you can spend time with them. You're eating together, and you, you have that unity with one another. We all want that, right? There's something in us that wants to have relationships with people like that, and God has made it to be something that we do. Now, the word devotion even, God has, has put it in us to be devoted, and a lot of times we get devoted to things that we shouldn't be devoted to. But we have this idea here where we, we want to worship Jesus. We want to be devoted to Jesus. And we also want to be devoted to Jesus' people and have a closeness and a unity with one another. And God has called us to do that. That's what it looks like to make disciples. That's how they made disciples. The early church was actively pursued or the early church actively pursued the teaching of Jesus, and the early church persisted in unity. That brings us to the result. What happened in that church when they did this? Now, I'm not saying this is prescriptive. I don't think that if we do these things, we can accomplish the same things, because it's not the same thing. It's a different situation. It's a different time. But we can look at what they did, and when they, when they were devoted to the apostles' teaching about Jesus and, and trying to model Jesus, and when they uh, were uh, devoted to the fellowship of uh, being in this close-knit unity together, when, when they did that, what happened? Let's read in verse uh, 43, starting in verse 43 of chapter 2 in Acts. Acts 2, 43, it says this, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this. This is such a beautiful description of what happened to the early church when they 
followed Jesus' teaching, right? They followed Jesus' teaching. They saw how Jesus had modeled it, and they started trying to model that as well. And on top of that, they were equipping people to make their faith their own because Dan and I were talking about this, and we're like, I wonder how big the city of Jerusalem was at the time, and like, could they withstand 3,000 people uh, becoming followers of Jesus? But then we talked about it, and we're like, well, you know, this actually was something they had come from all over the world to gather here, and then they also went all out. And so it wasn't 3,000 people that were in Jerusalem that were staying in Jerusalem. There was something about equipping them and saying, all right, now go and send this to the people around you, right? The message that Jesus gave us, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that he's commanded them to do, right? Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus commanded. That's what they were probably saying. All right, glad that you're here. I'm glad that you came to know Jesus. I'm glad that you put your faith in Jesus. I'm glad you've been baptized. Now go bring this to where you're going, right? It's amazing to think about that they were going out and do this. Here's the thing. They were making, they made making disciples a priority. And that's my encouragement for for us today. Are we make, or are we making disciples, make making disciples a priority? Wow, that's a really hard thing to say. Are we making making disciples a priority are we? That's my encouragement for you. Make making disciples a priority in your life. Because when, we, when I look at what has happened in, in uh, the, some of my former students, I've seen them grow. I've seen them know more about Jesus. I've seen them know the scriptures. I've seen them get involved in the participation of the youth ministry. And then... I haven't done as good of a job, and I think culturally we haven't done as good of a job as, uh, as a church globally, or at least uh, in America, of helping them to be able to make their faith their own and owning their faith. There's something about having the programs and everything, and sometimes it's like, hey, I'm just going to show up to church, and then I'll just keep showing up to church, and then I'm going to be more like Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes that has happened, right? But there's more to making disciples than showing up to a program. And uh, there's a guy named Doug Fields, and uh, he was somebody who I, I studied Uh, his material when I first started in youth ministry. I've been doing youth ministry for, I've been involved in youth ministry for about 20 years now, which seems weird, uh, and I feel really old when I say stuff like that. Uh, But I've seen uh, how he has helped to encourage other youth pastors to to continue in serving youth in youth ministry. And one of the things that he had said was when he had this, he kind of had the same struggle where he's looking at the, the church and he's like, oh man, I'm having students that, like, as a, as a really well-known youth pastor that were involved in his small group that uh, he saw that were completely following uh, the teachings of the youth ministry and really getting engaged, and it seemed like everything was great, and he wouldn't expect them to not 
uh, be continuing in the, the ministry after, he le- or after they left, he would see them fall away. And he's like, all right, what, what are we doing wrong? And he came to the realization that he wasn't making, uh, helping them to do this on their own. He wasn't letting them uh, own their own faith. And he's like, I realized that Jesus, when he was leaving, he told the disciples, hey, I'm going to be gone soon, and you're going to have to carry this on on your own, right? And I think that's something that, that we need to, to be reminded of when we're, when we're looking at, uh, at, at uh, making disciples. Uh, but there, there were six things that he thought would be very beneficial. If, if he could get his students to, to make these things a habit, and he actually used the word habit, uh, and he kind of like crams the H in there, I think, a little bit, and that happens with acronyms. But he said there's these six habits that if he could get his students to actually buy into, it wasn't, it's not going to guarantee everybody is going to do this, but if we're making disciples, there are six things that he'd love to see that they would do this. And so Jesus taught his disciples, Jesus modeled his, to his disciples, and then he said, hey, I'm going to be leaving, so you're going to have to do this on your own, right? And I think as we make disciples, there are some things that we should be encouraging us to grow in because it takes one to make one, right? We need to, to grow in our relationship with Jesus and know who Jesus is and what Jesus has called us to do, but also as we make disciples. So he says, uh, hang time with God. That's the first one, spending time with God. Are, are, are we making it a, a priority to spend time with God? I know Liz hates this concept, hang tight. Uh, it's something you see all the time. Uh, the, the concept here is just like, hey, just wait on God and, and spend time with God and, and enjoy your time uh, with God. Make, cut out some time and devote yourself to spending time with God. And that's reading the scriptures, that's praying, that's uh, learning more about who Jesus is and looking at your own life and saying, is my life modeling Jesus? It's a good thing to remind ourselves of as we look at it, but also we should be looking at, are we making disciples who are spending time with God? Are we giving them an opportunity to spend time with God? Are we uh, encouraging our disciples to pray and to have a reading plan and, and to, to be there with them. And that's something that it's like, not, Dan had mentioned something like, hey, some people think about reading through the entire Bible through uh, a whole year, right? That's a really hard thing to do. Maybe you're not to the point where you're, you're ready to read through the entire Bible in a year, or maybe that's just not the way that you're wired. Are you spending a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you're capable of doing over the course of, uh, of a, a stretch of time to get to the point where you are learning more about Jesus and spending time with him, right? So hang, hang out with God, hanging out with God. The second one is accountability, and this is really hard, right? Especially as Midwesterners, especially as men, especially as Americans, we, don't, we just don't really like other people knowing what's going on in our life, Right? Are you in a situation where you're being accountable? You're, you're letting somebody else in uh, the church, another Jesus follower, hold you accountable? Are you holding others accountable? Right? Second part of this habit is accountability, right? The third is Bible memorization. This is a great thing with Awana, and, and uh, I love uh, Chris Wuskin. I'm totally calling you out here. I didn't ask you about it, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> 
he's one of our, our youth leaders, and he, he talks all the time with the students about how uh, when he was helping out with Awana, he was learning the scriptures with the Awana kids. And it's a great thing to memorize the scriptures as you're helping keep somebody else accountable, as you're helping others memorize the scriptures. I, I tell you what, I'm, I called Chris out, but this last couple of years with my kids in Awana, I've been memorizing the verses with them, and it's been amazing. And not that I, I haven't had the opportunity to memorize some of these verses, uh, but, but they're, it's great to be able to memorize the verses with them and say, okay, well, if I'm asking this four-year-old to do this, right? If a four-year-old can do it, I can do it, right? And, and so that's what I'm doing with them. And, and I think it's a great thing for us to do. Are we memorizing Scripture, and are we encouraging others to memorize Scripture, right? Uh, involvement in the church. Are we serving? Are we, uh, are we doing more than just showing up? Are we showing up, right? Some of that, it's actually, it's good to show up. I don't want to discredit that. Show up. But are we doing more than just showing up too? Are we being involved? Are we, are we having that fellowship, or that, that koinonia? Are we having that, that relationship with others? Are we having that unity in, in spirit? Are we being involved and are we encouraging others to be involved in the church as we disciple them. Tithing commitment. I, I will admit, I f- have not done a very good job of teaching this to the students. It's hard for me to, to tell them, hey, you need to tithe. A lot of times because they're like, I don't have a job. But that doesn't matter, right? It's not just our money, right? It's our time, it's our talents, our treasures. Are we generous in our, our giving? This is something I'm sure, these habits, by the way, these spiritual disciplines, we don't like to use spiritual disciplines with students because they don't like the word discipline, right? But these habits, these things that we can get them to, to do over and over and over and over again, these things that we should be modeling, right, they, they're incredibly valuable. Are we encouraging them to be generous? Are you showing them what it looks like to be generous with what God has already blessed you with? It's not even yours. God gave it to you to be responsible for and take care of it. And yes, he's, he's blessed us with it, but it's his. And we're going to have more opportunity to talk about these over the course of the series, because that's kind of what this series is, is about. Change minds, change lives. And as we are are repeating some of these habits, some of these spiritual disciplines, our lives start shaping into more and more like Jesus. The last one is studying scripture. And we kind of talked about it, hang time with God or hanging out with God, but studying scripture is so important. Learn to love who Jesus is, right? Be devoted to the apostles' teaching. As you look at the scriptures that should reveal some struggles that you have. It should show how God has blessed you. It should show you how you can become more like Jesus. We want to do that. Now we are in this pivotal time, and I'm going to wrap it up here pretty soon, but we're in this pivotal time in our culture, and I get questions all the time. People, we, they call it post-Christian, right? We're post-Christian. We're, we're past the, this Christian culture. That's what they, how they would describe it. And I get people all the time, sometimes from people that Heidi work with, works with, sometimes it's our, our neighbors. I interact with, with people and they, they ask you the question. It's kind of like this, uh, uh, you know that they already have, like a, they're, they're skeptics and they have this mindset already. Uh, but they, they ask you this question in this condescending way of, oh, 
how do you do youth ministry in our culture? Like, it must be hard for you, right? And what they're really saying is, is it really even valuable to do it? Why are you even doing it? Like, why don't you get a real job? Why don't you do something different? Why don't you focus on, on uh, you know, how you can do something productive for the society, right? And that's kind of what they're saying. And I look at, at where we're at, and I, I think 2,000 years ago, they were kind of in this, this culture where uh, things weren't going necessarily great. And all of a sudden, 3,000 believers come to know Jesus. And things change. And they had everything in common. And, and, and we'll see, like when you look at that passage, you, you see that that doesn't necessarily, uh, it's, it's not something that they will uh, be able to repeat because there are things that were specific to them. They were worshiping in the temple. We're not worshiping in the temple. They, uh, they had all things in common, and that, thing, that did change. They didn't have all things uh, in common. They didn't have the, the support of the, the government either, and they didn't have the support of the people around them, which it said that they did at the time. Things had changed uh, by the end of even the book of Acts. But we have the opportunity to see how God changes us. And I'm going to read this. I'm going to close with this. There's uh, some lyrics to a song that I was just uh, introduced to. And it's actually, it's a few years old. But it's called Father-Daughter Dance. The father-daughter dance was only two weeks away. They asked her if she was planning to go. The only thing she could say was, my daddy is not around. He's locked in a jail on the outskirts of town. I wish we could dance on that Saturday night, but I'll have to turn it down because my daddy is not around. This is a true story, by the way. The little girl wrote to the sheriff her request was unusual. Would you be willing to put on a dance since my father cannot come to school? My daddy is not around. He's locked in in your jail on the outskirts of town. I wish we could dance on that Saturday night. Please don't make make me turn it down because my daddy is not around. The dance was held at the prison. Her dad wore a shirt and a tie. He told her, you look like a princess to me. May I have this dance tonight? And their feet never touched the ground. They forgot where they were on the outskirts of town. They were dancing together on that Saturday night. He spun her around and around, and their feet never touched the ground. After the song played and the school bus drove away, alone in the dark, his heart broken in two, her daddy began to pray. Dear Jesus, my girl needs her dad around, not locked in a jail on the outskirts of town. When... We could dance, then we could dance every Saturday night. I don't want to let her down. Help me to turn my life around, because my girl needs her dad around. Dads, thanks for all that you do. For those of us who have been fortunate enough to have a good dad in in, in your life, uh, we're grateful and blessed. And, And dads, keep fighting the good fight. Keep modeling Jesus. Keep teaching about Jesus. And keep reminding them that it's not about our faith. It's about becoming more like Jesus. But there are many in our world that are experiencing hurt, brokenness, 
And that's why we have the opportunity to make disciples. That's why even in our post-Christian world, or what they call this, we still are relevant. But if we're calling ourselves Christian and we're not making disciples, are we really following the message of Jesus? That's what we've been called to do, is to make disciples. And so my encouragement for you is I want you to think about who are you making a disciple with? How are you seeking to learn more about Jesus and become more like Jesus? Who are you intentionally discipling? And how are you equipping others to grow in their faith in Christ? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have sent Jesus into this world who took the brokenness and the sickness and the pain and you showed us that there's hope. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, even even when we were still sinners, he has given us hope that we can put our faith in Jesus and our life can look different. We no longer are sinners. We now are are people who are, have been redeemed by Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to model this to our kids, to our community, to our coworkers. I pray that you would help us to be a model. I pray that you would help us to know more about Jesus and to teach others about the, the good news of Jesus. But I also pray that you would help us in releasing people to be able to make their faith their own. And I pray that you would help us if we're sitting here today and we haven't made, we haven't owned our faith in in Jesus. I pray that you would help us today. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.